It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com And then there were two from Shea Stadium. The second semifinal game is upon us here in the Throwback League Tournament. We started with 48 of the Great World Series teams, some losers, mostly winners. And sure enough, the teams who have advanced to the Final Four were all World Series winners. Last week, the 84 Tigers beat the 04 Red Sox to advance. Now we have to eliminate one more team to get to the final round. Who goes home? Will it be the fifth-seeded 97 Marlins or the top seed, the 86 New York Mets? Josh Lewin with you. Let's remember, we had a monumental upset knocking the overall one seed out virtually right away. The 1975 Big Red Machine clipped by the 06 Cardinals. Mets fans can relate to being done in by that team as well. Adam Wainwright freezing Carlos Beltran with that curveball. But the next best number one seed is here at home tonight. On a perfect night for baseball in Flushing, Queens. Sweatshirt weather, but clear skies, no wind to speak of. Just a great night to see who gets the honor of taking on the 84 Tigers in the finale. Let's get you started by introducing the road team. Jim Leland's 1997 Florida Marlins. And a team that had an off-season spending spree. Veni Vidi Visa. We came, we saw, we put it on our credit card. $89 million for six free agents. For what it's worth, you could have bought a, a publishing company for that. Or an NHL hockey franchise. The, the Marlins instead put that money into Benia, Alou, Fernandez, and more. And the original idea around Miami was one of those gradual five-year plan things. But when the Rockies won in three years and the NHL's Panthers won in three years. Of course, the Rockies didn't win at all, but they did make a little bit of a dent. Wayne Heising had just basically said, look, I, I want to win right now. I'm not doing five years. Quick fix free agency seldom ever works. Every year in the 80s, the Yankees tried it, but only when they finally stopped signing the Dave Collinses of the world did they finally get it right. They let the farm system produce the Jeters and the Bernie Williams and the Andy Pettits, and then they won. Atlanta, for all its success in the 90s, really only signed one big-name free agent. That was Greg Maddox. The farm system is what gave them Justice and Glavin and Wollers and Klesko, and they made great trades to get John Smoltz and Fred McGriff. But, well... That's not what they decided to do. It was kind of uh, bring him on in, then cut and run. Alex Fernandez led this team with 17 wins, but it was Kevin Brown who scared opponents the most. He led the team with a 2.69 ERA through the majors' only no-hitter of the year. He'll indeed be on the mound tonight. 
And uh, an interesting group of hitters supporting him here. The first two hitters are 20 and 38 years old, respectively. Uh, and, and let's start with that 20-year-old shortstop, Edgar Renteria, who drove in the winning Marlins run in the 11th inning of Game 7 of the World Series, October 26th. But by Christmas, you know this one, the GM, Dave Dombrowski, was ordered to trade away Alou and Rob Nen, Devon White, Jeff Conine, Kevin Brown, Ed Vosberg, Dennis Cook, Kurt Abbott, and everything must go sale. And the Marlins held their banner-raising ceremony and ring presentation to open 98, but half of the roster was scattered around the majors at that point. Dave Dombrowski said, I never thought of the 98 Marlins as a defending world championship team. They're very sad, and indeed the World Series champions of 97 lost 108 games in 98. But they'll always have what happened in October of 97. They won it all on October 26th. The 86 Mets won it all on October 27th, also a Game 7. And let's get to those swaggering Mets of Davey Johnson. You know, as Satchel Paige used to say, if you can do it, it ain't bragging. So even though the rest of the country may have resented the, the Mets' arrogance and boastfulness, they backed it right up till the end. And we'll spend some time not on what happened on October 27th. Everybody remembers October 25th, Game 6, when Dave Henderson led off the 10th inning by clubbing an 0-1 fastball over the left field fence off Rick Aguilera. Everybody thought there's your story right there. It was Henderson, after all, who got the Red Sox into the series in the first place, rescued them with a, a saving home run in the fifth game of the ALCS when they were all but dead. But uh, Henderson, who had started the season with Seattle, wasn't traded to Boston until August when Mariners manager Dick Williams decided he was dispensable. He had hit only one homer for the Red Sox through the rest of that regular season, but the, the would-be World Series winner on that Saturday night was his third of the postseason, his ninth RBI. Boston fans were already erecting his monument in Kenmore Square at that point, but as the, the inning went along with another run ladled on top of that to make it 5-3, to three, Calvin Schiraldi quickly got two outs in the bottom of the 10th, the second on a long line drive to center by Keith Hernandez at Henderson. Who else? caught up with after a pretty nice run to get there. And Keith Hernandez flung his batting helmet onto the turf in disgust, went back to the clubhouse for a, a little contemplative smoke and just to plan what else was going to happen the rest of October for him. He, he said later, I was going to go out, get drunk, and stay up all night. But two outs now, two runs up. The Red Sox on their feet in the dugout. Oil Can Boyd was doing a little dance. Their first World Series since 1918 was all but cemented. Gary Carter, the would-be final out. No, uh, single to left on a 2-1 count. Kevin Mitchell had to be fetched from the clubhouse because he thought the season was over. Came in to hit for Aguilera, who was batting in Strawberry's number five spot. A pretty controversial double switch, actually, that never gets talked about. But uh, Mitchell fighting off an inside fastball, looped it into center for another hit. Red Sox pitching coach Bill Fisher out to the mound to just kind of settle down Chiraldi. Hey, kid, only one out to go. He quickly got two strikes on Ray Knight. Then Knight singled to center. And Carter, arms flailing, crosses the plate, makes it 5-4. to four. Mitchell makes it all the way to third. That was it for Chiraldi. McNamara, the manager for Boston, replaces him with Bob Stanley. It had certainly not been a banner year for Bob Stanley. But there he was on the mound, one out away, the dream of every major league pitcher, he would later say. Mookie Wilson standing up there 
and by his own admission inclined to swing at balls over my head and in the dirt is what he would say later but Stanley 0-1 on him 1-1 then 2-1 then 2-2 Wilson fouled off two breaking balls Stanley decided to go inside with a fastball that would run away from Wilson towards the plate and Mets third base coach Bud Harrelson had advised Mitchell remember a rookie then to, to be alert for wild pitches Stanley threw the fastball it, it didn't sail away from the hitter it stayed inside heading right for Mookie's ribs and if it were to hit him the bases would have been loaded but Mookie said I, I just reacted I, I absolutely just reacted to it a mighty jump away Rich Gedman lost, lost sight of the ball and Mitchell did not break right away Harrelson was shouting go 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 and, and he finally did come in to score Three and two now the count to Mookie. He fouls off the next pitch. He sees then that Buckner at first base is playing deep, about 30 feet behind the bag. So Mookie, with his speed, knew he would have a chance to beat out a ball hit down the line. I think Bill Buckner knew that too. And when Mookie hit the next pitch directly at Buckner, it was decided by Buckner, I'm not going to go to my knees to make the catch. Because throwing from that position, I might not be able to get enough on it, he would later say. Ball wasn't hit that solidly. It just bounced and bounced, and then it didn't bounce. Buckner said later, it just skipped right under his glove, and that would be that. A lot written and talked about for years and years after that. Bob Costas was ready in what he thought would be the winning clubhouse, the Boston clubhouse. When Wally Backman had flied out to open the 10th, Costas and his crew headed to the tunnel. When Hernandez lined out, Costas went into the clubhouse and saw everything all cellophaned off. I mean, you know how that goes with the lockers all covered because of the spray of champagne. So Costas is just checking out the monitor. Game hasn't ended yet and sees that it's a bit of a rally going. And Dave Allworth, the commissioner's liaison for TV, dashes into the room, says, if the Mets tie the game, you guys have to clear out to just go. And right then comes a wild pitch to Mookie Wilson. And Costas later said that ball had not stopped rolling before the technicians had packed up and gotten out of there. Never seen anybody move so fast. And sure enough, good thing he got out of there because it would end 6-5 to five in the Mets' favor. They would win game seven. And, you know, Probably a good bit of that story, too. All right, that out of the way, let's get you ready with the lineups now for this one here at Shea Stadium. And for the Marlins, leading off, it's going to be the shortstop Edgar Renteria, right fielder Jim Eisenreich to follow. Gary Sheffield next, Moises Salou will hit cleanup. Bobby Bonilla at third, Charles Johnson the catcher. Kurt Abbott at second, Jeff Conine at first, and Kevin Brown will pitch. National League versus National League, there's no DH here. Brown pitching, batting number nine. For the Mets, Lenny Dykstra leads it off in center. Wally Backman at second base. Keith Hernandez at first. Gary Carter the catcher. Daryl Strawberry in right. Mookie Wilson in left. Ray Knight at third. Rafael Santana, the weak hitting shortstop but a good glove man. Then Dwight Gooden pitching and batting number nine. Gooden 21 years old here in 86 and boy in in so many ways uh, he was a hero and a, a tragic figure in this 86 season. He became a seasoned drug user during this 86 season and all the while continued to dominate on the field. He was 17-6, and six, struck out 200 batters, but all the while falling deeper into drug addiction amid the, the party atmosphere that was the 86 Mets. Gooden in the World Series, by the way, not very successful. In Game 2, he was a losing pitcher. He was chased, giving up six runs, five earned in five innings. Game 5, he lost again, gave up four runs, three earned, in four innings, but 
When the Mets won the World Series four days or evenings later, Dwight Gooden celebrated by doing cocaine until the sun came up and he missed the Mets' victory parade. He will open up here against a kid basically his own age, 20-year-old Edgar Renteria, 277 batter, four home runs, 52 runs batted in. And the first pitch of the ball game zinged right in there for a strike, the fastball from the good doctor. It is nothing in one. Mets have Dykstra in center, Mookie Wilson in left, and Strawberry in right, a little bit shallow. Hernandez at first, Backman at second, Santana at short, Knight is in a bit at third. 0-1 pitches low, it's 1-1. One one. Here at Shea Stadium in Flushing Meadows, Corona Park. Built as a multi-purpose stadium, Shea Stadium. Home of the Mets for 45 years before they move out, 08 into 09. Of course, the Jets played here, the NFL Jets, from 1964 to 1983. Pitches outside, it's 2-1. and one. No score, just underway. Of course, we're so close to LaGuardia Airport here. Interruptions sometimes for planes flying overhead. Players last for time during noisy flight approaches and takeoffs. Next delivery coming. Swing and a chop ball to third base. Easy play here for Ray Knight. He was in a little bit anyway. Throws to first, and there is one out. Now at least they put it in play here against Dwight Gooden. Not easy to do. Cy Young Award winner last year. Here is Jim Eisenreich. 280 hitter. Couple of home runs. 34 runs batted in. He gets the start over fellow 30-something Devon White. Mets in their home whites with the blue pinstripes. Marlins in their all grays tonight with the accents of teal and black. The pitch to Eisenreich has a curveball, dips outside, it's 1-0. Well, Doc Gooden unleashed at the age of 19 a couple years ago, struck out a rookie record in Major League High, 276 batters. Last year in 85, the pitching triple crown, 24 wins, 1.53 ERA, he won 20 at age 20. Worst he was all year was 6-3, 1.89. That was low ebb. But from Memorial Day on, 18-1 with a 1.39 ERA. Pitch to Eisenreich is dribbled into left field. That's a base hit. I had Renteria lunging for it, Benilla lunging for it. It just kind of squirted in between them. And Eisenreich going the other way is able to get aboard. And now what a nice little battle here. Gary Sheffield will face his uncle, Dwight Gooden. Earlier here in 86, by the way, we just keep talking about Dwight Gooden. He was on the cover of not Sports Illustrated. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. Dr. K, baseball's hottest pitcher, it said. Now, no one else has this curveball, but as we've talked about, few have had the, the rough upbringing that both these guys have had, Sheffield and Gooden. First pitch in for a strike, it's nothing in one. Plenty of turmoil in that Gooden household. He was exposed to a heavy dose of substance abuse. His dad, a heavy drinker. There was adultery, there was violence. Dwight was there the day his sister was shot five times by her husband. He was five years old. 
But Doc continued to excel on the baseball diamond as he grew up. Number five overall pick in 1982. Pitches fouled at the plate, nothing in two to Sheffield, the nephew of Doc. Sheffield and Gooden lived in the same home between 1970 and 76. And Dwight was well, kind of the older brother to Gary. Again, only four years apart. So they did everything together, whether Gary wanted to or not. Many was the time that Dwight hauled Gary's butt out of bed in the morning, ordered him to grab a, a bat to face what even at age 9 or 10 was just a hellacious fastball. And if Gary refused to do it, he could expect a fight. Pitches fouled again up the third baseline. Still nothing in two. And Gary Sheffield, really the only guy who didn't get untracked of all the big names of the 97 Marlins. He had a huge 1996 signed to a four-year, $61 million extension, and maybe he fell into the trap of trying to justify that contract. Next pitch, fouled one more time. This one right back to the net. Still 0-2, no score. I think when pitchers realized Sheffield had expanded his strike zone, he just didn't see a lot of good pitches. 250 batting average, 121 walks. But boy, when he swings, what a mix of savage speed and pinpoint control. Gary Sheffield can turn on a 38 caliber bullet, said his first manager in Milwaukee, Tom Treblehorn. Here's a pitch from Uncle Dwight. A swing and a miss, strike three, and a big curveball. So Moises Alou will come to the plate now. One on, two out. Alou, a 292 hitter, 23 home runs, 115 batted in this year, and he's a Met of the future. Pitch to him. Is in for a strike at the knees, nothing in one. Now, 10 years from now, Moises Alou will carry this club down the stretch in 07, wearing Daryl Strawberry's number 18. He'll have a 30 game hitting streak to set the franchise record. Next pitch is fouled. Again, straight back, nothing in two to count. On deck, another future Met, that's Bobby Bonilla. Boy, late May, his first season, he was hitting 130 and getting booed loudly at Shea Stadium, wore earplugs at the suggestion of hitting coach Tom McCraw. No earplugs in there for Benia right now, looking on deck. Just some shiny jewelry, some earrings. Here's a pitch to Alou. Called third strike. Oh, he took a look at a big curveball. And Dwight Gooden seems to be in good form early on. No runs, one hit, one left. Middle of the first inning at Shea Stadium on a perfect night for baseball. There is no score. Let's keep it here in 97 as we pause for this. Swinging into McDonald's for the big summer deal in honor of Disney's big summer movie, George of the Jungle, now in theaters. They're swinging in at breakfast for two sausage McMuffins with egg for just two bucks. Morning, Bill. Mary, what could be simpler? Huh? Well, there's George. So we repeat for George, two morning fresh sausage McMuffins with egg for two bucks or two beefy quarter pounders with cheese for two bucks. Swinging back for lunch, wild animals couldn't keep me away. Have a Mickey D's. Back here at Shea, let's talk about Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. Great sponsor of the Throwback League. And we'll suggest that you try out anything on the menu. But you get the perfectly blended coffee that you've come to know and appreciate every time when you go to Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. They've been around almost as long as the Mets. They've been around since 1963. 
and they've been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from around the world ever since. With responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas, the coffee bean and tea leaf is an experience like no other. No score, Kevin Brown's on the mound for the Marlins. 32-year-old right-hander from McIntyre, Georgia. 16-8, and 2.69 ERA, leading a rotation that includes Alex Fernandez, Al Leiter, Tony Saunders, and LeVon Hernandez, who took over for Pat Rapp. Brown with that power sinker. Fourth overall pick of the Texas Rangers out of Georgia Tech. So we got a number five overall pick against a number four overall pick in this one. Brown debuting with the Rangers at age 21 in this 86 season that the Mets are playing in. Made one start against Oakland, allowed two hits in five innings, and eventually a 21-game winner with the Rangers. 1992 led the league not only in wins but innings pitched. On to Baltimore for a year in 95, then the two-year tour of duty in Miami. Last year, 96, 1.89 ERA to lead the league. Up nearly a run a game this year, but still outstanding. Good enough to go to the All-Star game. Not good enough for Cy Young votes. Brown had finished second in 96, will be third in 98 as a Padre. But here in 97, the Cy Young Award winner Pedro Martinez of the Expos ahead of a couple Atlanta Braves, Greg Maddox and Denny Nagel. Kevin Brown begins with the scrappy Lenny Dykstra. Mets leadoff man wearing number four, big wad of chewing tobacco bulging out of his cheek. 295 hitter, eight home runs, 45 runs batted in. And the pitch from the six-time All-Star is low for a ball. It's 1-0. Mentioned Kevin Brown, a no-hitter against the Giants here in the 97 season. In the NLCS of 97, he was flu-riddled, but pitched a complete game in Game 6, beat the Braves, helped the Marlins to the World Series, which they won against the Indians. Here's the pitch to Dykstra. It is clocked in a right. That's a base hit. It'll be eased back in here on a kind of a looping throw that comes in from Sheffield. Well, Lenny Dykstra, 31 stolen bases. He's a threat to run. Wally Backman comes up. Switch hitter hitting 320, best batting average on the team. Used expertly by Davey Johnson in a platoon situation with the righty Tim Tuffle. Backman wearing number six, as Al Weiss and Mike Vale used to do. This is the most issued Mets number, as it turns out. 37 times as of right now. Four times in 2004 alone. This number will be worn by different people. But it's Wally Backman now, and he takes ball one up too high. Backman, not a power threat, just one home run. His double play partner, Rafael Santana, also just won a home run. Backman hit his in late September against the Cardinals, Bob Forsh, this year. It's one a year exactly for Backman four years in a row, and he takes in the dirt, two balls, no strikes. It's a good stop by a good catcher right there, Charles Johnson. Backman and Dykstra at the top of this order. And these Mets fans, boy, they, they're accustomed to it. They hear the, the Wild Boys music or the We Will Rock You, the Let's Go Mets, that video that was made with all the players. There's a lot of songs, ubiquitous songs around this team this year. Pitch is high this time. It's 3-0. and and, of course, spirits are high. They have been all year. The Mets won the division by more than 20 games, outscored their opponents by more than 200 runs. 
Absolute cakewalk. More of a cake strut, the way these guys go at it. Next delivery in the dirt, ball four. So the Mets off to a nice start here. Backstra, as it were. Backman and Dykstra, they're both on. And it brings up Keith Hernandez. Those racing stripes perfectly aligned on that Mets uniform, the pinstriped uniform. Hernandez wearing 17, wanted 37, but that's retired for Casey Stengel here in Flushing. 310 batting average for Keith, and he takes outside ball one. Kevin Brown has lost the strike zone here right now. Now Hernandez, 83 runs batted in, leading the team in doubles with 34. A lot of talk about Keith Hernandez's defense, too, of course, not just the offense. As the pitch is outside again, it is 2-0. In the early 80s, it said that the average Major League first baseman assisted 22 times on plays that did not involve the pitcher. Hernandez averaged 44. Just an absolute weapon defensively, and he takes again. It's inside this time. Backed him off the plate. Three balls, no strikes. Oh, one more like that. The bases will be loaded with nobody out. Hernandez, a guy with a career on base percentage of 384. 3 0 from Brown. That is right down the chute, 3 and 1. To the guy that was MVP in 79, tying actually with Willie Stargell. They shared that award. Those guys ahead of the Padres, Dave Winfield, the Expos, Larry Parrish. And finishing fifth that year, current Met Ray Knight. He was in a Cincinnati Red. He got two first place votes. Joe Negro got one, and so did Kent Tacolvi. Six different players representing five different positions in a crazy year of balloting. 3 1 to Hernandez. That is inside and low, the sinker. Ball four. Bases loaded, nobody out. Here comes Gary Carter. 255 hitter, but 24 home runs, 105 runs batted him. Brought in from Montreal December of 84, just a couple days after the Yankees went out and got Ricky Henderson. And Carter, known for curtain calls after home runs. Boy, he'd earn one right here. That tradition started with the 1985 opening day game-ending home run against the Cardinals. Hit it off the guy that Keith Hernandez was traded for, Neil Allen. It is Hernandez at first, Backman at second, Dykstra at third. No score for now on the pitch. In for a strike to Carter at the knee is nothing in one. Gary Carter's first big league home run was off Steve Carlton. And he would end up hitting 324 total regular season home runs. And in the playoffs, he can tack on four more. Two in game four of the 85 World Series at Fenway. A game the Mets needed to win and did so 6-2. Brown at the belt. Leg kick and here it comes. Swinging a high fly ball. It's in a shallow left field. Moises Alou coming in. Bonilla's going back. Alou calls him off. Makes the catch. Everybody's got a hold. That's a big first out for Kevin Brown. Who doesn't get a lot of fly balls. He's more of a ground ball guy for sure. Well, here's Daryl Strawberry. Looking to hit a fly ball somewhere. 259 hitter, 27 home runs this year. 93 batted in. He stole 28 bases, too. Just a complete player. 
And we mentioned 324 career home runs for Carter. Strawberry will end up with 335. Pitch to him is fouled right at the plate, nothing in one. Took a big cut. But not easy to get lift when it's a sinker from Brown. 252 of those strawberry home runs hit as a Met. He got 41 as a Yankee, 38 with his hometown Dodgers. And four is a San Francisco Giant. Does anyone remember in 1994, Daryl Strawberry was a San Francisco Giant? Runners away from all three bases. Brown to the plate with the pitch. It is laced up the middle. Base hit, Daryl Strawberry. Dykstra scores. Here comes Backman being waved by Bud Harrelson. He will score standing up. It is two to nothing. And Keith Hernandez... On to third. It'll be runners at the corners here. 2-0 New York. Daryl Strawberry coming through and an animated, agitated Kevin Brown gets a new baseball here. Oh, boy. What a great start for the home team. The 86 Mets jumping on top. Mookie Wilson coming up. 289 hitter. Nine home runs. 45 batted in. And we detailed in our pregame show part of the most famous at bat maybe in Mets history. Jack knifing out of the way of the Bob Stanley wild pitch and rolling the ball through Buckner's legs. And earlier in that game, people forget this, he saved a run throwing out Jim Rice at the plate. First one to Mookie is outside, it's ball one. So you look at the back of Mookie Wilson's baseball card. Batting averages in 83, 84, and 85. 276, 276, 276. And here in the 86 season, tack on 13 more points. 289 batter. He's ready. And here it comes. Swing and a ground ball slowly hit towards short. Renteria coming. Quick bobble. Has no play. Keith Hernandez scores. And the Mets get another run. It's 3 to nothing. I'm sure that'll be ruled an infield a hit. I don't think the speedy Mookie Wilson would have been caught anyway, even had Renteria fielded it cleanly. But the ball just kind of rolling on that infield grass, one of those worm burners induced by that Kevin Brown sinker. Keith Hernandez having touched up 3-0 ball game, and that'll bring up Ray Knight. 298 hitter with 11 home runs. 76 runs batted in. With all this talk we're doing about game six of the 86 World Series, you know, Ray Knight was probably going to be the GOAT. His throwing error in the seventh inning had given Boston a 3-2 lead. Of course, he ended up instead as the, the MVP of that World Series. Legendary Mets radio voice Bob Murphy used to say, baseball is a game of redeeming features. I'd say that's about right as Knight takes outside and low, ball one. Bill Buckner, speaking of redeeming features, he was on deck when Marty Barrett struck out to end game seven with a runner on. Had Marty Barrett reached, well, Bill Buckner would have had a big chance to have some redeeming features of his own. Pitch from Brown in for a strike, it's one and one. Buckner was actually a longtime Mets killer. As a Cub, he had a 332 batting average against him with an average of an RBI a game. Three runs already in. 
And the next delivery that is rolled slowly on the ground towards short. No chance to go to second with it. Quick throw to first base in time. Renteria gets his man. Now, Ray Knight does not move the way a Mookie Wilson does, for example. So he's made the second out of the inning. And again, just one of those ground balls beaten right into the deck. That sinker starting to come around now for Kevin Brown. He threw that one four-seam fastball up. There was a towering flyout getting Gary Carter. I think maybe changing his eye level surprised him a bit. But remember, Strawberry the single, Mookie the infield single. That's made it 3-0. Here comes Santana, eighth man to bat in this bottom of the first. Rafael Santana, just a 218 hitter, only one home run. And he takes a strike right down the middle. It's 0-1 to him. Rafael Santana, no relation to Johan Santana. Of course, the man who finally will get the Mets a no-hitter. Only took him, well, until the year 2012. Franchise that had started out in 1962. They'd only had three broken up in the ninth inning, all three of them by Tom Seaver. Of course, the perfect game bid against the Cubs. That was Jimmy Qualls that got that done. Pitches outside to... This Santana, Rafael Santana, but back to Seaver. Five one-hitters is a Met. He would throw a no-hitter for Cincinnati, but not for New York. Nolan Ryan throwing no-hitters elsewhere. David Cohn, Dwight Gooden. But only Johan Santana able to get one done as a Met. Here's the kick, here's the pitch. That has popped in the air towards short. Four-seam fastball this time. Easy play for Renteria. He's got it. And that finally retires aside. But three runs on three hits. The Mets jumping on Kevin Brown. And they lead at the end of one. The 86 Mets on top. And let's keep it here in 1986. We'll go to break as Daryl Strawberry has something to tell you about how he stays so healthy. Back here at Shea Stadium, Howard Johnson is going to check in with us right now. Guy that joined the Mets in time for this 86 season, actually arrived fresh off the Tigers' 84 World Series win. Three times finished in the top 10 in MVP balloting. His odd-numbered years always being the best, 87, 89, 91. He did some good things, though, here in an even-numbered year of 86. And we asked Howard Johnson about how he got the news he was coming from the Tigers to the Mets in the first place. Well, growing up, I'd, I've always been a um, – even though I liked the Oakland days when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in Florida, but um, – uh, I was more of a National League fan. I mean, the Braves were on, the Cubs were on. Um, you know, the closest Major League team we had was the Braves. You know, the Phillies were spring training. They had spring training in Clearwater, which is where I grew up. So they, they had a following down there. So I used to listen to Harry Harry Callis all the time on the radio when I was a kid. And uh, uh, so that my, my my always my view of baseball – Major League Baseball was a National League style of game. And so uh, 
I kind of was aware of the Mets, but not, but not like deeply aware of it. But I was definitely like attuned to it because, you know, they, they played the Cubs, they played the Cardinals, they played the Braves. So I kind of knew all that stuff. Anyway, getting back to your question. So on the seventh, December 7th, when I got the phone call from Bill of Joy, he told me, he says, we traded you. And I said, Oh, okay. Um, where did you send me? He goes, well, I was he said, this is what Bill told me. He said, he goes, I, Sparky wasn't going to play you as much next year as I think you should be playing. And we really need starting pitching. And you were the guy that everybody wanted. So we got, we got, uh, we traded you to the Mets for a Walt, Walt Terrell, right-handed pitcher starter, uh, who will give us innings. That's what he said. And, and so I was like, Okay, well, I mean, I, I, I appreciated the phone call and, and being told the background of why you got traded, and I was appreciative of that, and I've always, I've always had respect for Bill of Joy and Tiger organization because of it. And, you know, the Mets were just, I knew it was up and coming. I knew about Dwight Gooden, knew about Daryl Strawberry, knew about Mookie Wilson, the guys that they had. I'd met Davey uh, Johnson uh, years ago and when, I was, when I was in high school. So I I was kind of aware of him and his personality, and I thought, man, I'm going from Sparky, who was kind of a kind of a taskmaster with younger players, to you know Davey, who was still kind of a player himself in some ways, you know. So so the mentality of it all was different for me. I liked it. Thanks to Howard Johnson, one of the real good guys in the game, one of the real good fastball hitters too. He destroyed fastballs from lefties. Todd Worrell faced him 11 times, allowed four home runs to him. Almost 1,000 hits as a Met, 997, and three different 30-30 campaigns in nine memorable years as a Met. Thanks very much to Howard Johnson. If the Mets move on, well, they will have a date with uh, the 84 Tigers, a team that Howard Johnson used to play for. A 3-0 lead at the end of one. Let's move ahead to further action, tell you what happens here. Bottom of the second, Dwight Gooden leads it off and does so by striking out. But Lenny Dykstra doubles and then steals third on Kevin Brown. Renteria kicks a ground ball from Backman. Dykstra scores. Kevin Brown looks like he wants to kill somebody. It is 4-0 New York. Top of the third, Florida able to get one back. Jeff Conine, Mr. Marlin, bloops his single to left. Then Brown lays down a sack bunt. Renteria called out on strikes, having a tough game. Eisenreich, though, picks him up. He doubles to the alley in right center. That gets to Marlins on the board, makes it 4-1. to one. Sheffield, due up next against Uncle Dwight, gets frozen on an Uncle Charlie. Strikes out on a big looping curveball, signature pitch of Dwight Gooden. Gooden threw seven innings. Brown threw seven innings, and it stays to uh, the Mets' advantage. In fact, they would get it to 5-1. to one. Adding a run, we should mention, in the bottom of the third. Gary Carter, line drive single in the center. And then Daryl Strawberry ripping a triple. That one getting to the wall in a left center field. There was a lot of real estate there as they had him kind of shaded to pull. Strawberry would get stranded, though. Mookie Wilson grounding out. Ray Knight, a shallow fly ball. Santana grounding out to short. So they could not tack on. 5-1, to one, actually, the score at that point. When Gooden and Brown were uh, still... Throwing zeros at each other. Scoreless fourth, scoreless fifth, sixth, and seventh. Scoreless eighth as well. Jay Powell pitching that eighth for the Marlins, but Gooden still going strong. Could he bring it all the way in? Going to the ninth inning, leading 5-1. to one. Well, Sheffield leading off the inning. 
finally gets it done against his famous relative. Home run to center field over a leaping Mookie Wilson and Lenny Dykstra out there in left center. So Sheffield, who had struck out twice, popped out once. This time the home run on a fastball to cut it to 5-2. to two. A little bit of redemption there. Bullpen gets busy. Orozco up. McDowell up. But Doc never did need the bullpen. Alou grounds out. Benia pops out. And on pitch number 117 of the game from Dwight Gooden, Charles Johnson fouls out to Keith Hernandez at first, right in front of the dugout. And that does it. Five runs, nine hits, no errors for the 86 Mets. The 97 Marlins eliminated two runs, six hits, and one error. So we have our championship game set now. We have the Mets staying home. They will host the 84 Tigers, who have been crushing the ball in this tournament. They just beat the 04 Red Sox 11-10 in a slugfest back in Detroit. And now it'll be two powerhouse teams from the mid-1980s. Two number one seeds, Davey Johnson against Sparky Anderson, Kirk Gibson against Daryl Strawberry, Howard Johnson against Howard Johnson. We will hear from Hojo on next week's broadcast. We'll hear from Kirk Gibson as well, as it'll be Ron Darling against Jack Morris. Two guys familiar with World Series Game 7s, and they will be head-to-head for the Throwback League Commissioner's Trophy, which has yet to be commissioned. Let's review what's happened for those two teams. Do a little post-game show here. Preview that championship Monday coming up. The 84 Tigers in our tournament, they beat the 74 Dodgers a nine seed. They needed two in the eighth to tie, one in the ninth to get it done. Daryl Evans, two home runs in that game, including the walk-off winner. Milt Wilcox, the starter in that one. Then the 84 Tigers beat the the, um, 98 Padres, a 12 seed. Of course, the 84 Tigers played against the 84 Padres in the World Series, but the 98 Padres taken down 13-6 behind a huge game from the San Diego native Alan Trammell. Then the 95 Indians were dispatched, an 11 seed, 7-5 that final. Well-balanced attack, 13 hits for Detroit. So all they had done was beat a 9 seed, a 12, and an 11. What could they do against the 0-4 Red Sox, a much higher seed? Red Sox actually had a 6-1 lead in that game, but Derek Lowe failed to hold it. Lou Whitaker, a huge game, including the decisive grand slam off Mike Timlin in the seventh. They rallied the lead 11-9, ultimately win it 11-10. Willie Hernandez striking out Kevin Millar on a screwball to end it. Screwball striking out a screwball. Oddly poetic. So that's how the Tigers moved on. These 86 Mets, Ron Darling outdueled Bob Welch, beat the 1990 A's 3-1. Mookie Wilson, of all people, had the home run to break that one open. Next round, they beat the... Fourth-seeded 1979 We Are Family Pirates 6-1. Doc Gooden had the complete game six-hitter, getting by Burt Blylevin. Gary Carter, the hitting hero, had a pair of home runs and five runs batted in. Then in the Elite Eight matchup, they drew the 05 White Sox, the three-seed. They got eight innings of two-hit ball from Sid Fernandez to win a 2-0 squeaker. The pitching's been so good for this team, and that includes what you just heard. Doc Gooden taking it all the way in that three-run first inning, helping out your final 5-2. to two. That sets up the winner-take-all event, Darling versus Morris. Can't wait to see how it all turns out. This is Josh Lewin. One game to go, and we hope you'll jump in next week and join us. After all this time, 46 weeks along in this project, it is indeed two one-seeds. It'll go at it mano a mano. Again, the final here at Shea tonight. It was the 86 Mets 5, the 97 Marlins 2.